Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combating modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, I was going to say, as we speak, our our third partner is having a baby. (laughs) So exciting. Yes, very exciting. (laughs) So... We were, and I, I was today. I think was the first day I realized that that winter is coming because it was pretty dark out until until just now, and it's already like seven twenty something. So wow, great winter's wow. coming. It's official. Here, here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the topic we pick kind of goes with that too. Uh, uh, you're you're actually right. I think that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, and so. Christina and I were sitting in in the clinic on Friday lamenting how the new level of sick we're seeing with our patients and um, the fact that um, the pandemic has created some significant changes in people's health. And you had found some really interesting statistics on that. Yeah, we could start with that, um, those numbers. and then so, the shoot off of that. So I got I have them right here. Where did you find? Oh, this is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, the CDC and prevention area. Yeah. So it says the number of states with high obesity rates, which means 35% or more of their adult population is considered obese, um, doubled um, only between two years, from 2018 to 2020. So it says now a total of 16 states had obesity rates of 35% or more, up from nine states in 2018. And then it talked about how, and again, from the same um, study, the pandemic has accelerated childhood obesity rates. New report finds that among those with overweight, moderate obesity, and severe obesity, the rates of BMI increased more than doubled. Even those with healthy weight had a rate of BMI change that almost doubled, which is interesting. And we can, we eventually we will also talk about BMI and how maybe that's not necessarily the best marker of what is considered healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a prime example of that. Um, But at the same time, it's a, what it was supposed, it's supposed to be used for is that trend. And Mm -hmm the trend is, you know, tells us something. Then the next stats were um, um, 12% of Americans have optimal metabolic health biomarkers. And I think what's important about that stat is 
that that includes normal weight people, right? So people in what's considered a, a quote unquote healthy or normal weight, according to BMI, mm-hmm. only tw- so eighty eight percent of Americans are um, metabolically have difficulties, and that includes like A one C markers, which is for diabetes, um, cholesterol, blood pressure, um, that stuff. Um, then 43% of Americans have pre-diabetes or diabetes, nearly 50% have high blood pressure and 38% have high cholesterol. And again, like these numbers are also can be changed by stress and lack of sleep and, uh, decreased fulfillment in life. And so, you know, those Again, the pandemic also increased all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about the pandemic specifically. 63.5% of COVID-19 hospitalizations were attributed to poor metabolic health, um, which includes diabetes, hypertension, and heart failure. And that was from the Journal of American Heart Association. Yeah, so... All these stats are uh, very well researched and from, you know, as high of accreditation as you can think of. So we're not blowing smoke up your butt, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> this is a real problem. This is a real problem. Exactly. And, and so I wanted to talk about how did this happen? Why did, why was this the response to the pandemic? Yeah. Um, because in finding the cause, we can also find the solution, help us with the solution. Absolutely. So I, it started then with lock, locking down. But I think there was some predispositions that came that maybe came to the fore for people when they were locked down. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if I think back to the beginning of that, that how much unknown there was, how much fear mm-hmm. and uncertainty, um, economic changes for a lot of people, and a, a you know a lot of time at home. Yeah, yeah, we were talking a lot how, and I remember, I think I even remember in the beginning of the pandemic talking about how this is going to shed a light on how unhealthy our country is to begin with. Um, and then now we're seeing how it's worsened in the past couple of years. Yeah. And I think it's multifactorial. Like one is part of it was the promotion of unhealthy choices. Right. So, you know, uh, uh, liquor stores stayed open yet, but yet, like, gyms were closed, you know, and then, you know, the, uh, you know, fast food restaurants grew because of just how easy it was to get fast food, um, because then you're not sitting inside, and in Washington State, we, I mean, we weren't even able to sit inside a restaurant until, like, I think a year in, um, into the pandemic, um, and, you know, that was, uh, supported over like going to your doctor in person, right? Like it was one of those, you know, don't come to the doctor unless you really have to. And, and sometimes when you start having those symptoms of have to, then we miss that prevention window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Deaths overall are up mm-hmm. from everything yeah not just covid yeah um i mean it's stunning it it silences me because the problem looks kind of big uh if we look at the practical things like you said um unhealthy choices so uh people often go to smoking as the bad habit. Wow, smokers need to quit. And 
I'll, and yeah, it's not the best habit, but I think for the United States, at least the food we're eating, we should be more up in arms about that, that our food source has been usurped for marketing purposes. Uh, they, they can keep you eating chips, but it's nobody want, nobody's like eating bags of carrots because the natural food is going to satisfy you and fill you and you'll be done. But something like chips or candy, you just, you can eat those nonstop and never feel satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is not a discussion of, you know, lobbyists and, you know, where money within the American system has gone to for in regard and who is one promoting certain things with money, but also policies have been made regarding industry who puts money into lobbyists and politicians, you know, bank accounts. And so, um, unfortunately, and also research, you know, when Coca-Cola is promoting research or funding research, you know, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, So, um, I think that's definitely part of it is the marketing strategies and, 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 and unfortunately, like you said too, our food quality, even our natural food quality in America is going down. Yeah. Our soil is being depleted Our we're using lots of additives and pesticides and other things to make our crop more successful but yet that's also not necessarily healthy for us either and then people aren't helping themselves like you know weekly i have patients who don't even think about eating a vegetable and that's a basis for our our body's function the what's in vegetables is what our cells need to operate and some of them will even shudder if I suggest it. Yeah. And I think part of it might be, you know, maybe part of it is, well, when they were growing up, they had, you know, maybe not the best tasting vegetables. And it's since then, it's kind of made them think like, oh, I remember Brussels sprout day at home when I was growing up. But <laughs> we have found really good ways to make Brussels sprouts or any other type of, of, um, of food. Um, and the importance of actually using like oil to cook and appropriate oil to cook these vegetables in because we need that driver to actually absorb those nutrients. Um, so I think people, you know, when they think about healthy you know, it's, it's supposed to be bland. It's supposed to be, you know, steamed. It's supposed to be, you know, baked. And which is true. Those are like the best ways to preserve nutrients and, and I guess control calories, but at the same time, it's not very delicious. So there are ways that we can find, you know, to make everything taste better, but also be still health conscious at the same time. Yeah. And there's appropriate use of uh, oils yeah, for absolutely. cooking. Yeah. Uh, there was a big push for no oil or no fats in diet, but we need our fats. Yep. Absolutely. Um, for multiple reasons. Yes. Yeah. And then we also talked about, too, how, I mean, even, like, we're talking about making choices and maybe, like, people's choices weren't maybe the healthiest, but there's a psychology to that too. You know, before the pandemic, we were able to distract ourselves from our problems, you know, by going out and doing things with friends or going to the gym and pushing ourselves for two hours or, um, you know, going to the movies or something. Like you could distract yourselves a lot more. And then when things shut down, you were either forced to deal with your problems or and your 
intrusive thoughts or you numbed it with food and alcohol and drugs. And so that is a, and that's a hard thing to come out of um, Mm -hmm. when you've been in it so long. Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, the U S surpassed Europe in alcohol consumption, particularly wine and That was of interest here in our area because we have like over 500 wineries in Mm -hmm. eastern Washington. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, during the pandemic, that just worsened, like the alcohol consumption. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, like the joke of, oh, here we go, buying like five more bottles of wine. You know, and you're like, because we don't know we're gonna get it again, and and thankfully that only lasted like a couple months, you know, kind of a thing. But I, I mean, even myself, kind of got into that like joke about, oh, we're um, we're locking down, like you know, get our supplies, and so and it kind of reminded me. I lived in Florida for five years, and it kind of reminded me of like hurricane prep and how. <laughs> you know, the same thing, you know, but a hurricane lasts for a couple of days, you know, not, uh, now we're in month 19 of this pandemic. So yeah, um, you know, there's a difference there too. Yeah. And so people who wouldn't, I think would under other circumstances not develop a problem I'm seeing have developed, uh, drinking problems and that those are now affecting relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that. Um, and I think the behavior that comes out of when, we participate in addictive behaviors, what be it uh, food or alcohol or drugs or what have you, then behaviors change. Perception changes. We don't make as good judgments. And you're seeing this like crazy systemic anger. <laughs> and that's another way to like numb yourself from that anger and that constant it's like, well, what's the driver? And probably the driver of everything is fear. And mm-hmm. fear is then you can, it's like two things. You can be angry and, and, and vocal, or you could be recluse and staying, you know, in your little bubble. And both of those on either spectrum can turn into addiction in whatever way possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've asked the staff at the clinic, I'm starting to talk about, listen to the quality of the conversation, not, not the words, but just the, what's the energetic feeling of it. (laughs) And, and realize that no matter what the person's just words are, if they're operating in anger and agitation, we're just feeding this fear. And I, you know, I've been guilty of that. I, I, we, we have to realize we're all in this milieu together. We're all facing this kind of a new world. I hear a lot of people say, uh, I want, oh, I want to get back to normal. And <laughs> yeah. And I think actually normal, which if normal was considered pre pandemic times, like also sucked too. So I, you know, maybe we were just naive and, unaware you know and it's always better to be aware um and and conscious of what's happening around us i uh definitely was unaware prior to the pandemic um this one right because there were other pandemics prior to this but they were often places that i wasn't ebola uh often africa and uh just really i didn't appreciate how well governments were containing these things and until this one and then you sit back and go whoa what went on here and I realize that um, we're living in circumstances that are allowing the formation of this of pandemics and this is the new normal and learning to live with this um, is going to be important if we want to change it, then we're going to have to change the circumstances that allow these viruses to take root. Mm-hmm. And those are those are things like climate change and um, caring for the environment. 
and caring for families, you know, and our people, you know, we, mm-hmm. it's so easy, especially in America. And I, and I wish I did know a little bit more about other countries, um, dealings with this, but, you know, we talk about families first here in the States, but compared to other countries, we are not family first, you know, and, um, and so even that support, even from the basic level of our units that we live in, you know, is, is, can be more supported too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just listening to something recently where um, they were describing research that's demonstrating, what is it like about a quarter of Americans have experienced some sort of um like split in a family where, you know, family members are not talking to each other a quarter. Yeah. And that unfortunately was also, I think brought on by politics and, and I even think about like my own family and my own um, relationships with my family. And it's like, it, it, not even like politics and like opinions about the pandemic, which I know that has been a huge driving force for a lot of relationships and mm-hmm. the world um mm-hmm. but like in my family I think especially with my mom um we've been talking a lot we've been both going through our own healing process and and being vocal about it which is really cool and how we're like awakening to oh I don't like how I feel when I'm around this person because of this this and this like I am now understanding that and so now I'm choosing not to engage with them as much as I used to um Mm -hmm. that's also a positive thing because we have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of others right so it's like a two thing like yes unfortunately people's relationships have crumbled because of politics and fear and opinions about things um, but also there might be an awakening too of, oh, I have energy that's a finite resource and I need to use that resource appropriately. Boy, it's a, that's a big one. I, I'm So my head's jumping to when we get to the part of the conversation where we want to offer solutions to people. <laughs> um, uh, that's in the area of relationships. So we have health, health relationships, how to face change. Um, these are the things that this obesity change is reflecting, um, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that, you know, obesity, it's a symptom. So we always have to look for the underlying cause, you know, uh, and the, but that one marker we should return to is that 12%. So that 12% of Americans have normal um, bio health markers. That's pathetic. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, 12%, like, well, let's look at how many, I don't know if, you know, I I wish I knew if the person was saying that it's 12% of America and the, the, the stat on what I'm reading is 12% of Americans. So I don't, I wish they said adults or to clarify, but maybe that also means with children too. Mm. Um, yeah. Which if it doesn't say children, then maybe it does mean, or since it doesn't say adults, maybe it does include children, which is, which is that's more alarming than anything else. I think. Yes. Well, it reminds me of an, another st- Uh, statistic I remember regarding health literacy, which is the ability to take information and effectively apply it in your life to improve your health. And that one was like 80% could not do it. And I actually had a a nurse friend of mine challenge me on that. She couldn't believe it. And I got that statistic from a government website on the topic. You know, I think you can and this was probably at least 10 years ago. So I don't know what it is right now, but we're just not very good at li- listening and, um, and uh, try, you know, applying these 
changes to our to our habits. And I think two like two things like come to mind with that. One is our nervous system and our primal nervous system like doesn't really like change. So anytime that there's a change, then we can kind of go into this fight or flight mode and then we revert back to our original state because it's where we feel comfortable with, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to then push past where our nervous system is going to take hold and say, nope, we're going to stop it right here, right? So we're like dealing with that. But also to, you know, we can tell people this. I think you've, um, I've, I've heard two, one thing from you and one thing from this business um, mastermind group that I'm in. Mm-hmm. You said that, um, like in general marketing, you really don't hear something until you've heard it seven times. Yeah, yeah. And then the same thing too with my mastermind group was like, hearing it once is like you never said it at all, right? So I think that's part of it is how our system is set up in our healthcare system here is that we don't see people seven times or primary care physicians don't see people seven times within seven months in order to drive that that home. You know, like we just, it's not set up that way. And that's where physical therapy can come is, can be that, that profession to really help that change because mm-hmm. we can see people more often. Um, Absolutely. And it, yeah. you know, and it is the goal of our profession. This is it. We're in 2021. The vision 2020 was that we're all doctors entry level so that we can help people with these basic things, um, you know, basic habits to get in place. So if, if we switch gears here and say, so what are the solutions to these things? Um, this is where as physical therapy can step in to help people make plans for what I say, uh, building skills, acquiring tools, developing routines. Um, and if somebody pays to come see me, I think that's the product I want them to take away. I want to have them run into me in a year or two and say, hey, I'm doing that thing that you told me. So, you know, we're going to list off some things here, but there's the practicality of how do, how do you actually take those in and do them? Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I've really been emphasizing habits and routines because, mm-hmm. you know, exercising for six weeks with, with me and then not doing anything is not a solution. No, not at all. Yeah. So if if we talk first about health, I think what we're touching on is we need solutions for mental health, financial health, and physical health. Obviously, physical health is where we'll fall. <clears throat> and that is, um, in terms of like, you know, Ayurveda, they, there's a principle, and I'll probably slash this or say this wrong, but it's triopastambaha. Yeah, I know I said that wrong, but triopastambaha. So it's the three pillars of, of life, and they're food, sleep, and something called brahmacharya, and I mentioned it last time. Right use of, of energy is the way I'm going to translate that. And what we see is a major not use of energy during the pandemic, seeing, seeing that pandemic as something bad. Remember in the beginning, Christina, like when we were like, Oh man, we, we had to like, go, 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 go. And, and, and I said, wait a minute, I think we need to slow down and listen to what's happening. The world's in a shift. It's a chance for us to shift us to recover and we all settled down into that. Um, and yeah, I think another way that you can say managing our energy is like knowing your boundaries. And, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in a family that had no boundaries um, because we were taught, not in a bad way, but we were just taught that 
you know, no is not a thing you say <laughs> um, <laughs> to your family. Um, and so I think learning boundaries is huge. Um, that's a constant practice for me every day. Um, and then understanding, I think, um, I've heard uh, two ways I've heard it explained is, you know, if you have a cup and that's how much energy you hold in a day and you have to dispense fluid from that cup, which is your energy, right? But then you have to refill it back up. You know, that's one option I've heard people talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but I've also heard like spoon, um, I think in the neurodivergent community, they use the spoon method where, um, you know, cooking a meal is three spoons, you know, and I only have 10 spoons to give in a day. And so I have to really make sure I know how to use my 10 spoons appropriately. Yeah. Um, so I think that's huge. And that comes just to awareness, you know, yes. what, what is you no awareness of yourself and your being, which yeah. in itself, like going back to what you were saying, those three things, mental health counseling is how I greatly learned what boundaries are and what my energy consumption and replenishing comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So boundaries, what I'm hearing you say is recognizing your capacity mm -hmm. and working within your, your capacity. Yeah. Um, not perfect. Um, yes. I, for those with a religious bent, Mm -hmm. I used to early on talk to people a lot about that Bible passage that says, um, oh, no, no, I'm not going to, now it's not going to come off the top of my head. But um, it's the one about the golden rule, do unto others as you, as you um, would to yourself. That was, and most people just don't recognize the second part of that where it says you got to, you know, or love your neighbor as yourself. That's it, that you got to love yourself. Yeah. And um, and take care of, of yourself. And there was even a, this, um, Christian speaker, Beth Moore, I think it was, she had a video, uh, talking about, um, giving from your overflow and she used scriptural references. I used it on all my Christian patients. Look, the scriptures say <laughs> you can take care of yourself yeah. and give from your overflow. Um, that's such an important lesson and i even to this day i'm like when i do that i feel like um something's wrong oh, yeah. yeah oh this day was too easy <laughs> yeah and then we're also taught so early on that like when's the other foot gonna or other shoe gonna drop you know kind of a thing we're always in this like settle panic of oh that it was too easy that means something bad's gonna happen soon and so <laughs> yeah that's you also can, healthy. <laughs> yes. Let things let things be easy. Um, I also think right use of energy means, um, you know, ethical behavior. Uh, working for the, so that's that balance between yes, I'm going to do what's good for for me, but not at the expense of another person. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake that we're seeing right now. We hear a lot of people making decisions on what's right for them. And this is the way that humans have survived is they come together and they, as a group, figure out how to survive. And like, for instance, right now, the, the tool we have to get out of this was the vaccine in our country. Just there was a lot of people making this, the decision about what's right for them. And certainly me medically, there are people who medically cannot get the vaccine. And that's why all the rest of us need to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we need to f take care of the reasons why the pandemic is here. But the way out of, we had this wonderful tool available to us to get out of it, not a perfect tool. Yeah. Um, and we we missed the boat here. Um, and even going off of that too, where we missed the boat too, is you know, we were using lockdowns and mandates, which are still appropriate and important to control mm -hmm. this. But we also, no one really came out and said, 
and you also need to eat a vegetable and go for a walk in the sun. You know, like <laughs> it, was, it, it was just stay at home. Like you're, you know, the idea of like you were saving people because you were staying home. Like, yes, like we need those, those mandates and we need those rules, but we also need to go for a walk and eat a vegetable, you know, like, yeah. and both of that was important, but I felt like the second part wasn't talked about at all. Yeah, we, we could have had more of that. We could have had more of the discussion of, hey, you realize that only 12% of you meet the mark of health. So yeah. let's get let's get on that other part. Um, so so, uh, so that's the exercise piece mm-hmm. is I think one of the points we wanted to make is no, things don't have to be fancy or complicated. I, um, the, just going for a walk is a decent thing to do. Yeah. For, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think coming, me coming from a, a CrossFit background and one of those like all or nothing type of people, you know, me going for a walk for exercise is like unheard of. Right. And I think for a lot of people, you know, that, is true for them. Like they feel like they have to go to the gym for an hour, work their butt off in order to make it count, you know, quote unquote count. Um, Mm -hmm. But think about too, like, I mean, before we had this obesity pandemic as well, or epidemic, I should say, you know, we didn't have exercise videos and these special classes and these, these methodologies, you know, of different exercise programs, like people were just active and, you know, and played with their kids and went outside and Mm -hmm. walked to places. And so I think that nuance of just general activity throughout the day was, has been lost too. Yeah. Every time you sit to stand, it can be a squat. Mm -hmm. So yeah. do it a lot or I have stairs in my house and I'll just make sure I I make several trips up and down those stairs and yep. um, exactly yeah and the same thing with food it what I saw people do in my practice is put weight on and then go into a fancy diet and it especially as we get older that is really hard on your system yeah. it's better to make small changes over time. And, um, you know, maybe some of these modification programs, food elimination, et cetera, um, maybe those, they have benefit. But for somebody to go from snacking and not eating a vegetable to going into an extreme plan, it's just too much of a shift. And there's no foundation. When they get tired of that, they're going to go back to their old habits. So it's better to learn to eat like the two or three or four meals a day, um, whichever pattern of eating that person is going to use, eliminate snacking, um, get vegetables into their diet, uh, eat whole food. Who, you know, since I've been eight years old has fluctuated and has been told that I'm in either the overweight or obese category, then I have been inundated with information about how to lose weight and what diet to do. And um, as an adult, I I have fluctuated 60 pounds, you know, Mm -hmm. by the time I was 18 until now at 30 you know, I have fluctuated 65 pounds, um, or Mm -hmm. 60 pounds. Um, and I have tried how many things, you know, to get to a a quote unquote healthy weight. And that's what I talk about too, with the BMI is that BMI is a great tool for trends as a population to see where the trend is going, but individually, it's not necessarily the best, the best marker i think that metabolic you know blood work metabolic um health based on cholesterol and high blood in blood pressure and 
uh, A1C and stuff like that is a much better marker um, because, again, just because you're a quote-unquote normal weight doesn't mean that you're considered metabolically healthy. But someone, going back to the food, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of things that is considered diets, and I've always failed at them because, like, just what you said, you try to change things too much, and then you um, don't have that foundation. And a lot of it, too, was my mental health. Like, I didn't realize that I used food as a mental health um, uh, soother. Um, I didn't realize that growing up in my family, you know, we labeled food as good and bad. So then mm-hmm. when we had certain foods, we had shame based on those foods that we ate or we, um, or we had the joke, um, or we had the joke of, you know, when we had a dessert in the house, it was gone within 24 hours because we never knew when we were going to have it again. Right. So mm-hmm. then we like, yeah. we're like hyenas like eating you know like like oh. you know this dessert and so um I always felt like I didn't have willpower but I had I and when I really felt like I started to get healthy with my with my diet choices is when I had mental health counseling that was specific for eating and then I had a registered dietitian after I had my mental health counseling a registered dietitian that really helped me not feel that shame and guilt regarding my food choices. And that was huge for me. I mean, I would have considered at some point I had disordered eating tendencies. Um, uh, And so, which a lot of us are in. um, And so that's what really helped me get past that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been there too. And it can easily fall back into... Uh, wanting to apply perfectionism to my eating, it just reenact my guilt and shame through food. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, and and so fo- it's been really important for me to f- focus on what are the do's of eating and eating to nurture myself and making choices that I enjoy but still nurture and don't wear me down mm-hmm. um so oh so through the pandemic I took up I hadn't eaten cheese for like 10 years and I was doing grilled cheese on gluten-free bread <laughs> yeah. and balance right <laughs> I come home from work and have potato chips <laughs> mm-hmm. it was my glass of wine because I don't drink <laughs> I think and, someone I uh really admire um her name is christy brown and she's a um like a life coach essentially that um specializes in helping people with binge eating and she's like we we live in this society where we always want to take away things and restrict things because that's like what we're told to do but she's like why don't we add something so okay if we're gonna have our grilled cheese and we're gonna have a bag of or some potato chips then instead of telling yourself like I'm gonna take away those things for the rest of my life be like well I'm also gonna have a salad with my grilled cheese you know mm-hmm. or with potato chips I'm gonna have um you know uh, maybe some turkey or, or an egg um because it gives you a little bit of protein you know or something like that um and so I thought that was a really freeing concept of mm-hmm. okay let's have the thing that we want and be mindful about it and add something that is maybe more nutritionally dense than potato chips, you know? Exactly. I'd have carrot sticks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's have the potato chips and the carrots. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And the other thing I'd learned about this was from Janine Roth, eat when you're hungry, eat what you want and stop when you're full. And that was really useful to getting me out of a, addictive food behavior. Okay. Um, and and it was also a little sad for me because I'm like, oh, I shouldn't eat the cookie, but I want the cookie, you know? Yeah. So I would go ahead and eat the cookie or whatever until I was satisfied 
Mm-hmm. And and really, like like you said, enjoy it because you can be shoving things in your mouth and just be thinking about, I shouldn't be doing this and you don't enjoy the taste at all. Yeah. And then, then you start hiding it. Like then you go into yeah. your car and eat, you know, eat it because you're so ashamed of other people finding it. I remember, oh man, this is really <laughs> personal. I, I remember with, with, with my previous partner um, and I thank God I have a partner now who is fantastic, but my previous partner, um, I had a lot of shame and guilt around food around him. And he ma- he let me know about that shame and guilt. And I remember I really wanted like McDonald's and mm-hmm. I hid it in my car and I thought I'd cleaned everything up, but I left the receipt in my, in my like side door and then he used my car for something. He's like, oh, so I saw the McDonald's receipt. And I just felt, I was like, oh my gosh, that shame spiral. Like just, and then you make, oh man, that was so bad. So I totally understand what you're talking about there. Yeah. Um, but I also knew like growing up, like I didn't, I never knew what my hunger cues were, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know when I was hungry. And when I, I knew when I was hungry, when I felt too hungry past the point of like now I'm going to like binge because I'm too hungry right Mm -hmm. I never knew when to stop because two reasons I I was always taught at a young age like you eat everything on your plate because there are hungry people out there you know and then I also used food as emotional support so then of course I'm going to keep eating because I'm sad, you know, or I'm angry. Yeah. Um, so I didn't learn what hunger cues were until I was 28 years old, you know? So mm-hmm. that's another thing too, that I think is important. Yeah. Well, I think what we're pointing out is it's not so much what you eat, but how you eat it, when you eat it and why yeah. you're eating it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, to recognize when we recognize those things, we start to do better with them. The, the beha- behavior changes I learned to manage my eating problems have stuck with me much longer than whatever eating plan I, I used yes. at the time. Yep, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about that more some someday too. Um, I think the other thing is sleep. Um, getting good sleep at night, that's a big issue um, that, that will help with physical health. We talked about moving. Um, the, the mental health of the situation. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> more than just calories in, calories out. You know, it's supporting the person as a whole and his country as a whole and Mm-hmm. Um, improving those sleep behaviors and which mm-hmm. again, that's a whole other topic too. We, I mean, we could have a podcast about sleep hygiene and yeah. Well, and yeah, the, the, the mental aspects of eating the, the, but um, also what is mental health and how we deal with change because we're in a time of great change and uh we can be excited about change and like learn from the situation, not to get back to where we were, but to realize, wow, there's something better ahead of us. We can devise a life that maybe is more in harmony with each other and with uh, the environment that we were, we were getting out of balance and we have a chance to bring it back in. Um, I guess I feel strongly that ethics matter. Ethics and morality are, that's on a spectrum too. A guy could be highly restrictive and repressive with ethics and morality, but we also have this swing way off to too permissive. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, actually you can see the swings at both ends going on in the U S right now. Like, trying to take away women's 
um, rights to their own personal health. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just like, and, and the other end of it, of anything goes like, so we get, we all got to like temper ourselves and come back to a middle ground. Maybe a guiding question is it, it's twofold. Like what is my capacity to help? And then how can I help my fellow man? So, um, Hey, I understand that a lot of my friends in Taiwan are listening and I thank you guys. So no, I, um, I try to find that the stats and right now things are a little slow, but supposedly we are trending in Taiwan, which is pretty cool. I love you guys. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm coming back someday. <laughs> so, well, always more could be said, but I think that's a, a good um, t target. I, I think the takeaway I hope for people is to recognize these changes, not, um, not as negatives, but as an opportunity to reset and, um, build better communities, help the environment, be better people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, a great, um, yeah. And absolutely great summary. Yeah. And that the, the basic ways through it are what they always have been, which is eat good food, get your sleep and um, that, you, you know, use your energy wisely to make the world a better place. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, good. Awesome. Thanks, Chrissy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.